let me just uh, start off by saying that's a little weird. I can't really hear myself. <laughs> I'm hopeful you can hear me, but it's been such an encouragement for my wife, Hay and I to, to have a relationship with IGC. Um, it's such it's such a rarity, actually, for a church to say, hey, we're not interested so much in numbers and statistics. What we want is a relationship. That is so encouraging. It's been a breath of fresh air for us. Uh, the ability to be vulnerable, the ability to share our struggles. Um, it's just been, it's been life-giving for us. And so we're so grateful. We're so thankful for IGC. Uh, and we hope, you know, as the years go on, that uh, we'll continue to grow in our relationship, that we'll continue to, to come and to visit and get to know many of you. Um, yes, missions is, is on my heart. And I guess it's not uncommon for a missionary to speak about missions. But I just wanted to start with a little bit uh, of a story about my own call to missions. Um, I felt a calling to missions towards the end of uh, college. And I think like most missionaries, I was, um, I had a lot of self-doubt. I had a lot of struggles and obstacles that I had to, to overcome and to, and to fight with. Um, I thought, was I holy enough? Do I know enough? Am I worthy to, to go and, and to be a missionary? Because, you know, as you read biographies about missionaries, they almost seem like super Christians, don't they? They struggle through so much. They overcome so many obstacles. So many of them have lost spouses and siblings or children along the way. And I always thought, you know, can I live up to this? Can I measure up to these super Christians? And when I thought about it, I thought, no, I can never measure up. Um, and just so we're clear, missionaries are not super Christians. Missionaries, there's no such thing as super Christians. All of us are in need of God's grace. All of us were sinners. And it's only by the grace of God that we are saved that we have a relationship with Him. But one of the other obstacles I felt was this, is my parents immigrated here in the 70s, looking for a better life, looking for opportunities that they didn't have for their children. I have a younger brother. He's in the same class uh, as, as Michael, Pastor Michael. You know, they worked hard. They sacrificed. They had to endure so many things. And I wondered... Could I then uplift my life here, the life that they had worked so hard to give me, and move to another country? It almost seemed like I was going backwards. It seemed like I was taking a step backwards. But more on that later. Let's turn to God's Word. Before I read it, I just want you to think and consider Abraham's call. I know in, in this part of Genesis, he's still called Abram. His name hasn't been changed yet. But I'm just going to call him Abraham, just so that we're clear on who it is that we're talking about. When you think about Abraham and the call that God makes to Abraham, what comes to mind? 
what can you remember? Usually people remember two things. They remember that God told him that he would have many, many descendants. And the other thing that you remember is the promised land. So let's turn to God's word here and let's see what it says. As they did in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, could I ask you please if you're able to stand before the reading of God's word? Genesis 12. This is God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. It's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the Word. Because in the Word we see who you are, Lord. We see that you are full of grace, full of mercy. We see that you are a God of love. But we also see that you are a God of holiness and justice. And that in Christ you've reconciled these things. So we pray that as we look at the life of Abraham, at the life of Jesus, that we would reflect upon our own lives and see what it is that you have us to do, Lord, in light of everything that we have in you. We thank you, God. We pray for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here are seven I will statements that God makes to Abraham. He says, I will show you land. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. It's actually the same word. I will curse those who curse you. And then later on in verse 7, which we didn't read, but he says, I will give your offspring, I will give your seed, this land, as he shows him Canaan. And it's only really here in Genesis 12 that we see all of these promises in one place. See, we see different versions of these promises as they're reiterated, as they're expanded upon, as they're made more explicit throughout Genesis, throughout the rest of the Pentateuch, really the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament as well. But it's really here that we see all of them in one place. And what are the big ones that we always notice? Of course, it's the descendants uh, and the the land, the promised land. And this is a very, very important moment in redemptive history. Much of what happens throughout the rest of the Bible can be traced back to here. And we have an advantage that I think Abraham didn't have. And that is, we can actually look back and we can see the fullness of these promises. We can better understand the promises that God was making to Abraham. And so let's talk about blessings for a second. God's promises include blessings, right? Included the descendants, the seed, included the land. But I want to focus on one particular aspect. I mean, there's so much that could be said. There's so many different ways in which we can talk about this moment in history. But I just want to talk about this one thing and focus on this in particular. God tells Abraham that he would bless him. 
so that he would be a blessing. And so this is not a suggestion like when I give my you know, older daughter some candy and say, hey, go sh- I hope you share this with your, with your sister. This actually, is, it's in the imperative form, which means it's actually a command, which would suggest that somehow God is telling Abraham that he should go in to be a blessing. But it's actually not something Abraham is supposed to do. It's something God is going to do through Abraham. And so God tells him that he would bless him and that he himself would turn around and be a blessing. It's not simply for his own benefit, but it's for the benefit of somebody else. And he goes on to tell Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And later on in Genesis 18, we see that promise expanded, right? It says, all the nations will be blessed in you. And so we see that God gives blessings to Abraham that the nations might be blessed through him. I point out here that this is not something that Abraham did to earn. It wasn't because he was living a righteous life that God said, oh, I'm going to use this guy because he's different than all other people around. No, he was, by all accounts, an idolater, just like his father before him. And yet God chooses him. And he says, I'm going to bless you. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Because Abraham wasn't a great nation. Not at this time. But what does it mean to be blessed? See, blessings in the Bible, it can have several meanings, but I think the one that we're most familiar with is the idea that God gives us His divine favor. What do we say? We say, God bless you. It's very, it's like almost just a greeting, right? We say, God bless you, or may God bless you in the new year. And the one that I like to use a lot is, may God bless you in your endeavors. And we're always saying things like that, but I wonder if we really know what that means. So I think we get into trouble when we think that God bless you, that these things, um, blessings, that they're always somehow material or they're always somehow financial. What are we really saying when we say God bless you? I think many times we're thinking about, we're thinking about prosperity, aren't we? And for sure, they can mean those things, that those things are, can be included. You remember that Abraham, as he leaves Egypt, he's amassed quite a fortune, livestock and etc. But we also need to understand that there's, more important, there's a more important spiritual aspect of blessing. I'll give you an example. In Genesis 22, it's a reiteration of this blessing that God gives to him in Genesis 12. God tells Abraham that he would multiply his offspring as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. How 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 many descendants is that? Do a quick calculation in your head. How many stars are there in the sky? I think most of us, because we live in, you know, light polluted cities... When we see 10 stars, we go, wow, look. But have you ever gone to a place out in the desert somewhere, out where it's just completely dark, no pollution, and looked up to see the Milky Way? 
if you haven't, I, I encourage you to go, you know, Google it or something. It's, it's amazing. You won't believe how many stars there are. It's almost like you can't see black because there's so many stars. But I think better, something that we can um, understand a little bit better are the sands on the seashore. How many sand particles are there on the seashore? Billions, billions. And did Abraham have billions and billions of descendants? Well, in some sense, yes, but he had, he had at least millions, right? We see later in Exodus, we see in Numbers that Israel had grown into a great nation. They took a census, and what did the census reveal? That probably there were millions. But what the census actually revealed was that they were countable. It wasn't immeasurable. They could actually sit there and count. Okay, we have this many people. Did that mean God broke his promise? Was God just, you know, over-exaggerating? Did he not deliver? I don't think so. So how can we understand this promise of blessing? It included the physical, of course. Abraham, Abraham had Isaac in his old age. He was the child of promise. But let's not forget Ishmael. Technically, Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn. And what we often don't remember is that after Sarah died, he actually had another wife. And she also bore him six other sons. And so in a sense, God is giving to him the promise of descendants. But how is Abraham remembered? How is Abraham remembered? In Romans Paul describes him as what? As the father of all who believe. Those who share the faith of Abraham are his descendants. He is the father of faith, the father of us all. You see, in the Old Testament, this is a quote from David Howard. In the Old Testament, prosperity is not financial in its primary orientation, if at all. Rather, it refers to succeeding in proper endeavors. Also, it comes only when it is not the focus of one's efforts in any case. It comes when one's focus is on God and one's relationship with Him. The success is granted by God, not attained by human achievement. How did Abraham appropriate these blessings? Simply obedience through faith. He believed God. Because you see, nothing about these promises that God made to Abraham, nothing about these promises made any sense. Leave your father's house, leave the land, leave your kindred, and go to another place that you don't know. And from there, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's not how great nations are made. Great nations are made in the place where you are, where you have family, where you have influence. And yet that's what God called him to do. And in verse 4, it's really interesting. It says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Every single person that has put their faith in Jesus can call Abraham his or her father. And that is how he can have billions of descendants, as many as the stars in the heavens as many as the sand on the seashore. And so God promised blessing to Abraham. He believed, he obeyed. But was it only for himself? No. No. It was also for the nations. It was also 
that all the families of the earth might share in that blessing. Some might say it was especially for the nations. And one commentator, he he says it like this, God told Abraham, leave your land, family, father's house, so that all the families of the earth might be blessed in you. But what is that blessing that the nations would experience because of Abraham? It's the Messiah. It's Jesus who would come through his line to redeem not only the Jews, but the Gentiles, the nations. Matthew's genealogy makes that very clear, doesn't it? The physical connection between Abraham and David to the Babylonian exile to Christ. But so does Paul in Galatians 3, places like Galatians 3 and Romans 4. He says Christ is the offspring. Christ is the seed of God's promises. Paul is saying when God made those promises to Abraham, he already had Christ in view. When he said, in you all the nations are to be blessed, he was preaching the gospel to Abraham. The seed of Genesis 3 is the same seed of Genesis 12. Is Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this. Abraham, he left his home and family on the strength of God's promise to him. Jesus did the same, did he not? He left heaven, he left his father's side on the strength of God's promise. The Messianic Psalm, Psalm 2. It says, ask of me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Abraham believed in God's promise, and every saint before the coming of Christ was saved according to faith in that promise. But in Christ, we have the fulfillment of that promise. Such that faith in Christ makes us children of God and makes us true descendants of Abraham. We are heirs according to the promise. Again, according to Romans 4 and Galatians Galatians 3. The promise of blessing to Abraham are the nations in Jesus Christ. One theologian, he, he, he describes our union with Christ like this. He says, our union with Christ is is like experiencing, or it is, not like, but it is experiencing the blessedness of God. So in other words, God created man not because he's lonely, not because he's bored, not because, you know, he's lacking in something that would give him glory. No. He created man that man might experience the blessedness of his triune relationship. He wanted to share the blessedness that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Share together in their relationship. Not that we would become part of the Trinity, I'm not saying that, but simply that we share in the blessedness of that perfect union of God. What happened though? Adam and Eve, they sinned and they broke that relationship. What did God do? He didn't leave us to our own devices. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
God already had a plan. God in His grace decided early on to reconcile Himself to mankind. Our relationship is now restored. Christ came to pay our debts that we might have a right relationship with Him. And in so doing, we share in the blessedness of that triune relationship. And so we see that the blessings of that promise given to Abraham were fulfilled in Jesus. It was never meant to be for Abraham alone or the Jews alone. It was meant to be for the nations. Now Israel, throughout its history, often lost sight of that. We know that this is true because God had concern for the nations throughout the Old Testament. You read, the, you read about it especially in the prophets and the minor prophets. We know that this is true because he called Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. We know it's true because you and I, we sit here worshiping our father today. I don't think any of us are direct physical descendants of Abraham. And yet we are his spiritual progeny. We know it's true because we experience the blessing of being in Christ. We know it's true because in Revelation 7, what do we see? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And what are they doing? All the nations. They're worshiping. They're worshiping. So then what about us? Well, with, with everything going on in the world, I think it's often, it can seem hard to feel like you've been blessed with anything, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like God has bestowed His blessings on us at all. And so here, I don't want to put words in your mouth or tell you what to think or to feel. And so just for a moment, I'm just going to speak for myself. And of course, I know this doesn't represent everyone, but uh, and there's always a danger when a preacher puts himself as sort of the hero in his sermon. But I hope that you'll see this more as a testimony and less about someone making the right decisions or, um, or anything like that. But you know, back to my struggle with my missionary call. I don't think it was an epiphany, but a slow pressing upon my heart by God. And I started to realize that I was truly blessed. Especially as, as I went out and I saw different people in different places. Um, I realized that I had opportunities and I had things that... some other people maybe had never even imagined. And it's not that I was comparing lives, but I think what happened was I started to realize that there are a lot of things that I had taken for granted, things that I had grown up with and never given it a second thought. You know, I was born and raised in a country where I had so many blessings. I had access to all kinds of education and opportunities, uh, opportunities for personal growth, just the fact that grew up speaking English, you wouldn't believe what uh, a benefit that is 
uh, when you're traveling around and you're in the rest of the world. You know, I had wonderful friends. I had a wonderful and loving family. I had exposure to all kinds of good food from all around the world. Food's very important to me. And I had freedom to worship without persecution. I had freedom to worship without threat of punishment. But I think what was made clear to me the most, the biggest blessing, was that I had the gospel. Not because of anything that I had done, not because of anything that I had achieved or earned, but simply by God's grace, He had chosen me to be His child adopted, co-heirs with Christ. I think often we lose the magnitude of that blessing in our everyday lives. Even if I have nothing, no job, no degree, no friends, no family, no good food, no freedom to worship, if all I have is Jesus, then I have everything. Because He's forgiven my sins. Because He's called me as His child. When Jesus encounters the paralytic in Matthew 9, what does He say? The first thing He tells him is, your sins are forgiven. Why didn't He say to him first, take up your mat and walk? That seems to be the more pressing issue, doesn't it? It's because our biggest problem, the world's biggest problem, is its sin. And as Jack Miller says, forgiveness of sins is the biggest thing that Jesus ever does for anyone. The best way we can love our neighbor, the best, the best way we can love the nations, is to bring to them and share the good news of the gospel with them. The gospel changes lives. That is our biggest blessing. That is a blessing that the nations need today. And so for me, realizing that I was richly blessed with the gospel, it made sense to me to heed the call to missions, to bless the nations with the good news. You know, my parents did so much that I might be blessed in so many ways, including taking me to church my entire life. I was blessed. I am blessed. And so now I felt like it was my turn to leave my country, my parents' house, to go to a new land, to share the blessing of the Gospels with the nations, that they also might be blessed through me. I know many of you right now are probably thinking, well, you're saying Abraham left to bless the nations, Jesus left heaven to bless us, and I felt a call to leave and to bless the nations. And so, of course, you're going to say, I'm supposed to leave to bless the nations. And I'm not saying that, just so that we're clear. But I do have a few questions that I want you to think about. How are you being a blessing to people around you right now? Do you consider the gospel a true blessing in your life? If so, how does that work itself out in your life? If not, 
why not? And I also want to ask a question, and this is not a question of guilt, but a question of reflection. Have you seriously considered a call to global missions? Again, I'm not saying everyone is called to go. But I think that for many of us, we have outright rejected the possibility that God might be calling us to go. Because it's inconceivable. It's like out of the question. It's ridiculous. Uproot my family and and, and go somewhere. We automatically assume that we've been called to stay. Because the idea of going is just too scary. Sometimes we wonder why our lives have no joy or spiritual vitality. We don't realize that God loves to bless those who have radically aligned their purposes with His purposes. Taking the gospel to the nations. And for many of you who have seriously considered going but feel called to stay, to send, to support, I want to encourage you, that is not the lesser calling. That is not an inferior calling. In fact, I would dare say that that's even more difficult than going. I look at the state of our country, massive exhibition of syncretism in American evangelicalism today the rise of Christian nationalism, I wonder sometimes if we need more people to stay and defend the gospel here. And yet for me, I echo Paul's cry to go where Christ has not yet been named. That's my role. That's my calling. So my encouragement to you today is for you to find your role, to find your calling And to see if it is in God's promise to bless the nations because you are in Christ. You have already begun to experience the fullness of those blessings now. And I ask you simply, how will you share it? Let's pray. Father, you called us out of darkness when... We were dead in our sins. We could do nothing, Lord, to save ourselves. It's only by your grace that we have new life, that we have a relationship with you, O Lord, and that we get to share in the blessedness of that relationship with you. Lord, many of us, we're struggling right now. It's hard to imagine that we are experiencing any kind of blessedness. And yet, we know, Lord, through every struggle, through every obstacle, through every hardship, any anxiety, any depression, feelings of hopelessness, we know where our destination lies. We know that as a child of God, we will be with you forever worshiping around your throne and enjoying you for all eternity. Help us, Lord, to have a heart 
for those who are still lost, for those who are still living in darkness, who are bound by the idols of this world. Give us a heart to take the gospel to them, to share in the blessedness of which we already partake. Not because we think that you'll love us more, O God. Not not because we want to gain an extra measure of favor, but simply because you love us perfectly now. Simply because we know the heart that you have for the nations. Grant us that heart as well. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.